0: namaste welcome to episode number five talent crunch a global phenomenon part of my talent series talent exclusive elusive or endangered powered by quest and quest it staffing my name is Preeti chaudhary and i am your friendly host and facilitator for today no conversation can be complete without guests So at this point, I would like to add in all our esteemed panelists and guests all the way from all corners of the country and the globe to welcome everybody to this conversation, which is on such an important topic. Talent, as we all know, is such a holy grail. Either you have it, or you don't, or it ghosts you. And the past six months have been an absolute turmoil when it comes to this very, very endangered, I would rather call, species in the global workforce. So once again, welcome to everyone. Namaste, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We are on two time zones here today. We have panelists from India and from Hong Kong. So we are in the India, Southeast Asia, MENA timeframe. Welcome to everyone. This is episode number five of my talent series powered by Quest West Quest IT Staffing. Today, we are talking about Talent Crunch, a global phenomenon. And for that, let me quickly invite the first panelist straight away. And before we do that, a couple of quick reminders for the audience. This is a conversation. Please, at any point in time, do feel free to put in your questions, queries, comments in the comment section of this live. The panel will be addressing all your live queries in the later part of this program. With that, I think it's time to get kick-started. My dear friend Calvin, you are going to be opening this very lively discussion. I have a tingling in my nerves that says this is going to be a stupendous conversation. So please kindly introduce yourself and tell us, what do you think? Is talent a global phenomenon or it's just an Indian thing that is going on right now? Thank you. It is over to you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Preeti. I think, um, thank you everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of you, wherever you are. Um, I'm Calvin. I represent Quest Corp. Uh, I have close to about 19 years of uh, staffing experience, Uh, you know, and about 12 years in Quest. Um, And uh, today, you know, I'm going to just kind of uh, speak a couple of uh, important facts. I think while we are going through this, um, you know, talent series, uh, and then maybe I'll just uh, leave, uh, you know, um, uh, no, some of your thoughts and some of my thoughts to other uh, speakers as well. I think uh, whatever I could do for the five minutes that I'm having. So um, I think, Preeti, uh, first of all, you know, this is episode five and I'm seeing how interesting it's become. I think uh, Richard uh, has kind of already, you know, kind of, um, you know, taken everybody by storm, by his comments and crowdsourcing of uh, you know, ideas and thoughts around it. But I think what I'm today calling this, uh, you know, uh, what, what we are going through is something called as a post-pandemic paradigm, right? Um, I think it's a workers' revolution, if I should say. Uh, and, uh, and, and it has increasingly become important how leadership is all about expressing empathy, right? And I think, you know, putting the well-being of the employees is now becoming you know, the heart of everything, right? Just a couple of interesting facts, you know, that I wanted to kind of give one of course, from a technology standpoint and then maybe from an overall standpoint is about. Um, One of the surveys that was done, uh, you know, in the U.S., uh, you know, with organization that has at least 500 people or above, uh, there was about 1,000 employees that were surveyed and 40% of them left in 2021 because of burnout. Okay. And most in- interesting aspects of it, all of the thousand people have started a new job in the last three months or so. Okay. Uh, which means, which increasingly means that, you know, that most of them have already moved out and, uh, you know, 40% of course, have left because of the burnout and 28% of them have moved out because I mean, without having an actual job in hand, you know, they don't have any other job lined up for them and still moved out. Right. And 42% of them have said that, you know, uh, they are kind of, uh, attracted to the current jobs because of the flexibility to work from home so i just want to kind of increasingly uh, you know uh, just kind of uh, uh, focus on the burnout aspect of it for a minute or so and understand what really has kind of driven them to to do that right i think the important aspect what i feel is that you know managers you know are increasingly now expected to kind of engage and communicate with the employees number one i think uh post the pandemic you know uh, with all of these um, you know um, what do you call uh, juggling between you know uh, what what typically is the need to hire more people, you know to backfill the current attrition that we have, and also to kind of support business growth. I think increasingly it's kind of put across uh, a, a focus that you know uh, productivity is directly related to the people that we have, right. So I I just kind of you know when I look back and and saw what it's currently you know that we need to do more, you know is try and see how we can kind of you know create the new experience to the employees. While we, of course, you know, kind of, uh, you know, are are focusing more to hire new people, what are we doing today to kind of uh, engage with the people that stay with us, right? I think uh, with that note, of course, I'll come, I'll circle back again at the end of the discussion, Preeti. But with that note, I would like to maybe kind of hear, you know, uh, from you and from everybody else, and maybe take it from there. Yeah, over to you, Preeti.
0: Thank you so much, Calvin. And I think um, I like the new point, word post-pandemic paradigm, because it indeed is something unprecedented that all of us are going through at this point in time. So thank you so much for opening and setting the context. I'm sure there will be three other viewpoints, but let us now go to Sandy. Sandy, could you please introduce yourself and share your views on the overall perspective of talent from your own professional and personal experiences? Thank you. It is over to you.
2: Thank you, Preeti. And everyone, welcome to, you know, what is going to turn out to be a very, very interesting conversation. Uh, I'm Sandhya Suri and, uh, you know, people call me Sandy like Preeti does. I'm the head of uh, HR, CHRAO at the USA. And it's a very, very young organization that uh, has now come about. I'm a veteran from the Navy and uh, I carry a very diverse experience in my work culture. And just to you know, put across a point, Calvin, uh, for the past four years, I've actually been off the grid literally in terms of not going to an office to work. And I have rejo- rejo- rejoined office now, uh, but with a lot of, of flexibility that is added to the job. So I totally get you the paradigm, post-COVID paradigm is very, very real. And carrying uh, further to, uh, you know, adding to what Calvin has said so far, I would like to dive into the very, very basic crux of things that we feel needs fixing at our age, you know, when we uh, get into jobs and when we start working. But the core issue is uh, something that is far deeper and it goes way back into the schooling system, into the education system, even parenting. So that is basically what I'm going to be touching upon and then getting back to the professional ethics part
0: of things. Uh, Over to you, Preeti. For now, this is where I am. All right. Thank you very much for that, Sandy. And with that, let us move to Sumedha. Sumedha, please pick up the ropes, introduce yourselves and carry this conversation forward so that we have all the perspectives and then we can sort of draw upon all the ideas and have a nice, candid, insightful conversation. Over to you. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Preeti. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here, uh, part of this distinguished panel that Preeti has put together. And I was, uh, you know, listening to some of the views that Calvin and Sandy shared, and I think uh, I I would I tend to agree with them. I'm just going to share a little bit about myself and then build on it. So uh, I have about uh, 17 plus years of experience in in the space of talent and HR currently i'm with samsung and i lead the LD strategy as well as diversity and inclusion for the southeast asia region um, my core belief in life uh, around the work that i've done is that is that maximizing human potential leads to maximizing the organization potential and and you know this topic about talent is very relevant when i think about the entire work that i've done so far so moving on to this very interesting topic, uh, in my view, and, and this is a question for everyone else also, uh, the shortage of global talent is not a recent phenomenon. Why I say that is if you go back, you know, we were talking about this in 2015, we spoke about it in 2010 also, 2017, 2018. So it's been there, but what in my opinion has changed is the pandemic, and that's exactly what Calvin was talking about. You know, uh, the pandemic has acted like a steroid, and I cautiously pick up that word because it just hastened, uh, it just intensified the talent wars that organizations are facing. One and has led to uh, you know this this being the most uh, hot topic of the decade, uh, which is talent shortage and how it is impacting everyone. There's this report by the Manpower Group. And, you know, it says that we are sitting at a at a 15-year low in terms of talent shortage. And this is not just India. Preeti, we're talking about, is it India or global? This is pretty much a global phenomena. And uh, Conferry also did, uh, you know, a survey and their report that they have a beautiful article on this topic. It says that 69% of organizations currently, us facing talent shortage, one, and this is only going to intensify with, with time. In fact, some of the stats are pretty scary where they say that uh, by 2030, uh, the talent shortage would be about 85 million people. Now, those are big numbers, and which could lead to trillions of dollars of loss in terms of uh, you know, economy. So with, with that put together, uh, what I just want to talk about is why is this talent crunch there? the first one is obviously the pandemic you know suddenly uh, the importance of technology came into the forefront you know and every organization wanted to hire uh, wanted to be more tech enabled and hence the need for technical uh, digital talent grew grew by millions now was the talent available uh, it was but then everyone was fighting about it that's what happened uh, so the the crunch is more in ter, in in tech enabled you know the way they say it, knowledge intensive industries like media manufacturing i.t um uh, financial services and technology you know these are the industries which are currently uh, the most impacted now why is this really there let's take a step back one of the major regions uh, reasons is the exit of baby boomers you know um We all understand that the management at most organizations comprises of baby boomers and currently uh, in, especially in Japan, in Europe, it's time that, you know, they have a lot of baby boomers and there's an exit happening. Now, if they're exiting, we'll say, well, we have uh, the millennials stepping in. Yes, we do have the millennials stepping in, but are they ready to step into the booths of the baby boomers? I would say they have a little work to do there, and hence we are saying that there's a talent gap. Uh, the third thing is the Industrial Revolution 4.0. The entire definition of talent has changed. The entire definition of what an organization demands from its people has changed. You know, it's not just about knowledge. It's not about a siloed growth in terms of becoming a subject matter expert, which was relevant sometimes ago. We want a person who not only is a SME in his his or her own area, but has the capability of also, you know, uh, cross-cultural knowledge can move uh, across domains. Uh, So is that workforce existing? I think, no, we have a lot of work to do there. And hence, you know, we hear reskilling, upskilling, all those words happening. Um, Third thing is, what's the role of the governments? They also need to change uh, especially in india in terms of the way they are educating the people the kids in college learn skills by the time they come out those skills are not relevant so how do we change the education system how is it wired to help the corporates is there a do the corporates and the educational institutes talk so that the right uh, kind of workforce steps out so so i'm going to you know uh, put this all into four things to say what we can do to probably uh, not get into a 20, 30, 85 uh, million shortage of talent. I think the first thing is, I, I call them the four Bs, you know, buy, build, borrow and bridge. When I say buy, it has to be about the talent acquisition uh, strategy. When you're buying talent from outside, how are we buying? And, and Calvin touched about the pandemic thing saying that, uh, you know, what's the new EVP? Are the leaders empathetic? Are we talking employee well-being? Are we connecting to the current aspirations of the youth? You know, uh, so many people. The Forbes survey, where, pe- where people just left their jobs without even having a alternate job, shows that they are not looking at some of the things that were uh, relevant in pre-pandemic days. Second is build, and here is the job of talent development. You know, holistic building. Uh, we, most organizations have, uh, you know, the I-shaped personalities, the subject matter expertise in one area. But the world now wants T-shaped personalities. So you are an expert here, but you all, you have a domain expertise, but you also have the expertise across other domains. How do you build that? Uh, third is borrow. Why are we just talking about traditional ways of working? Why not gig economy? Why not apprenticeship? Why not project teams? And fourth is bridge. And I spoke, touched briefly about it. How do we bridge the gap, reskilling, upskilling, innovative ways, shorter things, uh, crowdsourcing, let employees pick up the learning and development, continuous learning to have the right workforce would be uh, the answer as far as I think. Um, but, But yeah, I'm going to pause as of now and hear others as well. Over to you, Preeti.
0: Thank you so much. Sumedha for that. Absolutely bullseye right there in terms of the wise and house. And you know, you're right. Um, somewhere along the line, I think along with everything that you have said, the onus is on to us as employees. And I'm talking from an employee perspective right now as well to actually be a lifelong learner. Because the problem in today's day and age, what I am seeing is If we are not learning, then we become redundant. And that is where the problem lies. And then, you know, we can't be useful to anyone. And hence we then just sit at home and and then so many other things happen to us. So I think from an employee perspective, continuous learning is the name of the game, but you're absolutely spot on with the other three or four B's that you put out there. So thank you very much for that. And let us move to our in-house dear resident expert, my dear friend, Dr. Richard Claydon, which as I call him, Richard, please introduce yourself and you've done a fantastic job of sort of putting this all together so brilliantly. Let's hear some of your findings on talent, whether it is a global phenomenon. And you tried three sort of geographies, UK, Hong Kong, Australia, and now uh, sort of Southeast of Asia as well, including India. So please, it is over to you for your perspective.
4: Thank right, you. Thank you, thank you, Prudy. So yeah, my name is uh, Richard. I teach leadership um, for the Macquarie Global Biz, uh, MBA program. Uh, I have a PhD in organizational theory, uh, spe- specifically in um, in organizational behavior, uh, and I run a company called uh, EQ Lab, which focuses on trying to get these contemporary ideas about leadership and OB around the world in, in a very uh, high-end learning sort of uh, methodology, so you learn much more quickly and, and, and you, um, you don't forget it either. So we hopefully this webinar was not going to be something that you forget. Um, so I'm going to try to sum up a lot of what people said from a very specific perspective. Um, and and if, you, if people have been following some of the, the, the stuff that I've been crowdsourcing, one of the terms used was what? the purpose of a system is what it does. And I think when we're looking at talent, I think we're looking at the purpose of the um, the HR systems and the, the hiring systems and, and what is the purpose of them. Um, and also what is the purpose of, of the organization and how the organization is being run. So Calvin talked about, well, one of the big problems is is burnout. Well, maybe the purpose of the current organizational system is to start burning employees out. I mean, historically. You, you went to employees like they were sort of cogs in the wheel and machine parts and they, because there were so many hands who could do the job. You were just like, right, okay, you're, you're burnt out. Let's bring someone else in. You're burnt out, let's bring someone else in. You're burnt out, let's bring someone else in. Um, so maybe actually that's still the, the system that's being designed. But what, we've, what we're having is we've got a system designed for sort of these kind of low skill jobs, but we're applying it to high-skilled jobs. And so you've got all of these people that you can't replace burning out um, because we haven't redesigned the system around the kind of work that they need to do. And that, that talks to a lot of, of the points that, um, that, that everyone's put together. So Calvin talked about you know needing empathetic man- management or en- empathetic leadership. Uh, well, if that's because perhaps we've got this system where everyone's in pain. And so the, the response to it is, well, start feeling their pain and maybe you're going to be doing something about it rather than just saying, um, as, as many baby boomers are, are want to do. Oh, well, I, I had to go through this. So you, maybe you should have to go through this. And, and, and you know, so, so one of the that, that's why I think the empathetic leadership question is is, is coming into being is the, the purpose of the system is to actually disengage people and, and burn them out. Um, And we've got to reimagine that. That goes into Sandhya's point in that that we're not developing the right skills at the beginnings of the system. And the beginnings of the system, of course, is schooling. So when we're in a schooling system, and what do we do in in most schooling systems, certainly in in, um, the Hong Kong local schools, I imagine the same in, in, in Indian schools, well, we make people sit in rows and desks in a line and we have someone up front telling them what, telling them they're trying to learn from a sort of a a top-down perspective. They're not being taught to do knowledge work. They're being taught to be manual workers. And then actually all the jobs we want them to do are knowledge work jobs. So as soon as you're in a system where if you get an answer wrong, you are punished, you are going to internalise that to the extent that you can't do the kind of high tech high cognitive work where there's no clear answers that the contemporary workplace needs to do needs to have so so you you're, you're creating a, a generation of people not that they're stupid but they're not being taught in the right way so so you internalize the guilt and the fear and the shame of getting things wrong and then when when you're coming into the workforce that, that you know you you struggle to actually to do the job you're not ready for it and then it takes a while of adaptation. Um, and that sort of goes into intozanida's um, point in in the human potential stuff. Um, and I think it's important that she said that, that the war that this talent crunch is, is not recent. it's been going on for a while and I think the war for talent the, the book written by the McKinsey's consultants was it must be pushing twenty years ago. So for about twenty years, there's been this notion that there's been a war for talent, and I and I, I do have a big problem with that book because they don't define talent. You just sort of say, "Oh yeah," it doesn't. You can't really define it, but you know it when you see it, and I think that's that's desperately problematic. And one of the core reasons why why the HR system is, spits people out, and I think one and and one of the one of the core uh, pieces of feedback when I crowdsource this is the the HR hiring system is not designed to find talent. It's designed to put people off. And in our in some of our pre chats, we talked about um, you know people you know, having all kinds of un- unqualified candidates and who don't even know which job or which company they're applying for. Well, that's because the systems put them off. Why are they going to put effort into doing that if? The system spits them out and treats them terribly, time and time and time and time again. Well, you get you get what you've designed for, which is people who don't care and are just throwing out and let's let's go for the for the job. Um, and I think it's I think it's important again um, what Samita said about how we're the, the T-shaped person versus the I-shaped person. So that's another historical challenge. I mean, this is more of a, this is a, more of a historical challenge, a more recent historical challenge where we've siloed organisations and, you know, you, we've got all of these functional spaces and it's like, well, OK, you're a salesperson and you're a marketing person and never the twain shall meet and then the engineers over there, you've both got to hate them. And there isn't this broad overview of, of people who understand how to how the, the system is put together and, and how how you you actually have to lead and, and, and do this kind of work and of course ag- agile work is supposedly fixing that uh, it's not particularly implemented very well to, to to do this so we've we've got a problem of hyper specialization we need to find people who've got a broad range of skills to work within to work with people who are hyper specialized so you can actually glue them all together we don't look for those when we hire because how do you how do you tell i've got a a really good sort of generalised range of skills, but I'm not particularly amazing at anything. Well, you don't get the job then. Somebody who's amazing at something gets the job. So we've got we've got to deal with this this hyper specialising, specialising kind of thing. Um, I would go further than T-shaped. I actually think we need to find um, talent spikes in people that can go off and development edges and things that you can. Oh, look, you're potentially good at this, and you're, so you so you. Here's the breadth, here's the depth, but here's also the areas of development that we can we can add in. And then the sort of the buy, the build, the borrow, and the bridge. I thought that was yeah. It's, it's really at the moment we, we tend just to be focusing on the buy. It's going to the market and find the, this incredible talent that if only you had them, the organisation is going to be amazing. Um, and we don't actually do development work within organisations very well, which is an area that I, I, I do a lot in. Um, and, and I have snuck myself into some courses at times and, and I'm, I'm appalled at what gets taught. And I think, well, there's no... there's no. Obviously, people aren't going to develop because they're not being taught in a way that would develop them. It's a tick box kind of exercise, etc. cetera. Um, so we've got to work out how to build. We've got to work out how to really develop people in, in this spiky kind of way. Um, and then we've got to fill in the gaps, as Amida said, by by borrowing and bridging, well, where we can. Can you find some freelancers? Can you maybe you've got some guy with an incredible special, specialized skill set one day a week. And they're gonna they're gonna bridge that gap for you and, and, and they could work for another organization the rest of the time. So there's a whole bunch of little tactics and strategies that, that can that can go in to sort of to feed that. And then I wanna just cycle back to Calvin. So Calvin says it's the, the, the paradigm and, and, and the digital transformation of, of, of that's, that's the fast digital transformation that's happened to this, which has made the IT world and the digital world, um, people are desperate for those. The biggest challenge in the research I'm doing is that no leaders or managers have the communication capacity to lead and manage in a decentralized, dig, digitalized workforce. So you might have an incredible group of talent within your organization, but they're not being glued together because we don't have people with the management skills, which, of course, then immediately cycles back to, well, are we educating people in the right way? And cycles back to, well, do we have people with these broad skill sets? So back to you, Preeti.
0: Thank you, Richard, for that. Absolutely broad based and touching all the right nerves and points right there, my friend. So thank you very much for that let me quickly circle back to calvin and ask you calvin in your view working with people across the globe how big is this talent crunch really do you think and if you want to quickly build upon what you touched upon earlier that would be great and then i will sort of move on to sandy next before i open the floor for questions and there are some already over to you calvin thank you
1: Hey, thanks, thanks, Preeti. Absolutely, you know, I think bang on both Smeeta and Richard. Um, I think answering a question, Preeti, on the global, you know, uh, you know, uh, talent war that we have, it is very, very real. Just to give you a perspective, in April, May, June, twenty twenty one, okay, uh, according to the U.S. data, I mean, U.S. Um, Department of Labor, the data, the data that had come out was uh, almost eleven point five workers, five million workers quit. In those three months, all right, and uh, as of June, forty-eight um, percent of the workers are still contemplating to quit the current roles, right? So this is real. This is as real as it can get for all of us, right? I just want to kind of touch upon what um, Richard said about, you know, in the end. Uh, uh, I just have this, uh, you know, this uh, special affinity towards how do you create this uh, psychological safety for the employees? What do I mean by that? Today, in a post-pandemic environment, there are no team lunches, there are no in-person team meetings, very few. I think we've just started coming back to office. There is no safety or a psychological environment that the employee feels much safer, right? Because our interactions can actually, you know, um, uh, become more transactional in nature. And I think, you know, it's very limited because of the kind of, um, you know, um, distinct forces that are, you know, into play. So what I wanted to kind of maybe touch upon is what are the forces that we can control, you know, uh, which, which is in our control, actually. Right. Uh, I think, you know, uh, one of the important aspects that I wanted to kind of touch upon, uh, before I pass the bait into you, uh, Prithi, is that how do you kind of retain the current talent? I think, as I mentioned, you know, increasingly we are looking to hire more people, but we kind of tend to forget the people that is are who are, you know, staying, right. So I think it's important for us to, you know, constantly reward them because, you know, today you are in a digital world. It's very important that the appreciation and gratitude and the compassion has to be immediate, right? It cannot wait. Okay. So I think, you know, um, I'm I'm very very keen to see how and what we can do for, you know, um, people to uh, make them stay, uh, and 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 you know, um, how do we kind of reward them when they are, you know, doing their job? So most importantly, I think. Today, you know, uh, in this uh, limited talent that we have, we should always have at a point to make it okay for the employee to leave. It's a limited talent. I think, you know, you know, I've seen my experience, you know, uh, being part of, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm part of Quest. Uh, we are the second largest private sector employer in the world, uh, and uh, in India rather, and uh, we constantly look at, you know, a lot of talent who are coming back and joining us. And what does it say? I think, you know, it is first of all important to understand from a perspective that employees feel more connected. I think there could be multiple forces that may, that may might have kind of made them, you know, find uh, a job elsewhere, but, you know, I see a lot of organizations are now going back to the talent and, and importantly, the talent is coming back to them rather, right? I think it is, it is very, very clear and evident that in a limited talent that we have, it's important that we engage, we communicate, we reward them, we kind of appreciate them and have a clear sense of impact that each of these individuals will have in our teams i think that's very important over to you pretty
0: thank you so much and you are right it is all about a holistic experience moving on from customer experience to internal customer that is the employee experience that sort of probably defines and charts the journey of any organization so thank you for sharing that calvin and let me now circle back to sandy and Ask you, Sandy, what exactly did you mean by um, sort of nipping the, the problems right in the bud? What did you mean by humanizing the whole thing when you touched upon uh, the brief points earlier? Care to share, please? Over to you. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Preeti, Calvin, Richard, Sameda. You know, there are a lot of uh, issues that have come up uh, during the points that you projected, uh, which we are talking about our current situation and the status that we are in. Uh, However, I believe that, you know, eventually the reason why all of us are sitting here is to be able to tap upon what exactly do we need to change, what needs to change. You know, when we are discussing something that is becoming a question of whether it is a talent front or whether, you know, it's extinct or whether it's going extinct, there's a shortage or there's a, you know, an excess of it. In this entire scenario, what we need to understand is it's all concerning people, right? And if we are talking about it today as a discussion, it means that there is an issue, there's a challenge, there's a huge challenge. And who created this huge issue is us. That's also there. We are to be blamed for where we are today. Why and how did this happen? Let's go back to school, let's go back to just being kids and, you know, as parents. Right. Uh, when I was in school, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the landline. We, didn't, we shared landline in an entire building in India. All right? So we've come from that kind of a schooling where everything needed to be retained in your mind, in your head, because you can't go looking it up later when you ask a question. Right now, you ask a kid a question, the first thing a kid will do or any young adult will do is just Google it. Of course, uh, people in my generation also do the same thing, but we're still very skeptical about the truth of what's available on the internet, rather than, you know, we would still like to look up research papers and read those, uh, because we just come from a generation of that. i okay, put that into perspective. That is the generation that we are at, and uh, we have created this. But how are we trying to judge the young talent pool is into the same framework where they need to retain the knowledge, where they need to be able to, you know, spout it out when required uh, and pay tons of money to go to a good IIT and IIM and be able to do that and certification is still a big deal. So uh, when people say, hey, you are not an MBA, you're not an IIT, and then we only hire MBAs and IIT. Let me tell you, there is a value to that because the grooming is slightly different in IIM and IIT. But why can't the same grooming be replicated in other colleges? I will get to that. I've I'm going to go back to you know back to childhood. Now, when we are learning, we are learning things that we can actually search for in, in, in split seconds. Why are we still doing that? Why can't we skill ourselves differently? Now, the talent pool that is available is vastly unhappy, dissatisfied, insecure, with low self-esteem. Some of them have mental problems, in a sense, mental health issues. And we've got a whole series of suicides happening. So a whole, whole load of things have happened, uh, you know, in the past two decades, let me put it that way, since the internet actually took over uh, on a very vast scale, especially in India and third countries as well. In this scenario, why is, why are these issues existing? Is because when we were growing up, or when we were bringing up our children, we were more uh, we found it more important to be uh, you know to be bothered about the scores our kids brought, to how we projected ourselves and our children in comparison with those around us in the same pattern. So it all became a question of, hey, uh, how, I, how am I being judged by the society that exists in terms of my education, in terms of the qualification that I carry? Uh, Google is not looking at qualification. Google is not looking at skilling. Uh, neither is Amazon right now too much. Uh, what are they are looking at is skill sets and the ability to do the job. So there's a, there's a major, you know, conflict here. If we paid enough attention as when we are bringing up our kids okay, and let them learn the way they best know how to learn, but inculcate values, inculcate self-belief systems and bother about what they care about as well. What is that going to give us? It's going to give us young adults who are happy, confident, have self-esteem and are ready to take on what comes to them. Everything else is available as information, as an upskilling. But where is that finishing school? There's no finishing school for this. This finishing school should have started right from the start. So when we're talking about government needs to change the school system, we also need to change the system of parenting. That is where we start. And if that hasn't happened, why blame the school system? Why blame the government? Why blame the college system? Why blame the talent? one side of the story. Let's get to the other side. As corporates, professional ethics are low, most corporate. In India, it's quite a majority of an issue is that in India, the largest business houses, which are trying really, really hard to move from family-owned business to a corporate setup, find it very hard to let go of control. And in that process, Uh, the professional ethics are honed in on what are the numbers, what is the revenue, how much have we earned. It's not about who are these people who made this happen. I want to talk to them. I want to have a conversation with them. That doesn't happen. You basically have managers, you don't really have leaders, leaders who can change the culture in an organization. You may have great talent. You may have gone out of your way to hire great talent. And trust me, it takes a lot of time to hire great talent. But most corporates will say, I need somebody today or tomorrow. Uh, It takes three months to find one good person who can fit the deliverable. So most people, when they come to me, they'll say, okay, the job description. I don't want a job description. Tell me what that person's supposed to deliver. Then I can find the skill sets. But the skills can still be taught. Attitude, self esteem, these things, they have to grow, and it takes time. So when I'm looking at currently the system in colleges, engineering colleges, and it's a techno commercial world, it's no longer just an artsy world, or it's not just a completely techno driven world. It's an amalgamation of the two. And uh, we have churned out in India factory loads of engineers who do not know how to communicate, factory loads of MBAs who still don't know how to communicate, who don't know what it is like to carry a great attitude day in and day out, and those things need to change. Okay, thank you very much. So yeah, over to you, Preeti. I mean, I mean, you know, you can just dig around for this forever, but I'd probably. Pass
0: it on, Jesus. Go on. Sorry, I thought you had finished there, so I sort of came in. But no, thank uh, you. No Very worries. pertinent. Thank you. Absolutely pertinent points. And you know, you are right. I think um Richard also touched upon so did Sumeda and Calvin as well. I think if the mindset shifts from hiring for skills rather than say educational degrees and qualifications, I think some bit of this crunch could be sort of taken care of. Um So here is the first question from the audience. I'm going to pull it up on the screen and I'm going to address this to Sumedha and Richard. Sumedha more from a corporate perspective and Richard more from his research-based perspective. I'm going to read it out for you. This is from Challangeet Lehal and he says, are organizations doing enough to make the employees job fit, which may require skill building, mentoring, or evolving a cultural fit? What do you think, Sameeda? And then I'll move on to Richard after that. Thank you.
3: Um, I would say that organizations are at different levels of maturity uh, to handle this aspect of skill building uh, in a holistic manner. In my view, uh, the evolved organizations obviously um, are looking at skill building, not just from, uh, you know, building them up in terms of knowledge and skills, but like Sandhya was talking about the behavioral aspect. What are the behaviors that this person carries to work? Uh, what is the value system this person, uh, you know, displays at work? And that is the core thing. So when you talk about skill building, how do I create, uh, How? what does an organization do? To create a holistic person who can be relevant in different areas of work, I'm just going to talk a little bit more in terms of uh, you know skill building as as the question uh, has come up. So as as an organization, when you talk about upskilling or reskilling or you know onboarding people, I think what's very important is to look at three aspects: the mindset, the skill set and the tool set that you give people, right? And the first one and the most critical one is the mindset, which is where, uh, yes, organizations look at, you know, a lot of culture building uh, activities, talking about the values, so on and so forth, and the why of why as an organization do we believe in certain things and what is it that uh, you as an employee need to do to be there. That's, That's one aspect. Uh, i think one very critical aspect about any kind of upskilling or mindset or anything is what does an organization really have to offer to the uh, to the employees what's the culture that sits there because you know you can hire the best talent we spoke about uh you know innovative ways of uh, looking at hiring people but how do you hire, how do you retain this brilliant talent you know today the person walks in because of your, uh, you know, shiny whatever spiel. And and then once you're in the organization, uh, if it is something that where you feel you don't belong, what do you do there? And there there the DE and I, DE and I really comes into play. So what? how inclusive are you as an employer? In terms of retaining, um, I was reading one of the comments, which was like, what are organizations really doing? Well, if you're just going to think of uh, different Uh, you know, at the surface activities uh, to retain people, no, it's not going to happen. But if you're truly invested in your employees, if you're really thinking growth, and like uh, Richard was saying, you know, forget the T-shaped personalities, uh, uh, you know, spiked personality, I really like that. So if I'm in an organization and the organization is working around building me up by giving me A, uh, knowledge, skills, in terms of a lot of different avenues that can be explored, and also thinking of how do I learn differently? And we have to think innovatively. And yes, organizations are doing that. I can give you a quick example. The open talent marketplace is a great example, right? So you have all these millennials, you have so much of talent, and then you have these siloed uh, ways in which people grow. And, you know, a constant rant of rant of employees is that I'm not growing or I don't, there is no challenge in my job. After two, three years, you can't give growth to everyone, but you can give a different experience so the business leaders can post their projects in the portal right and you can have any of the person any of your ta- talent apply for it that's sits in the organization now this is a perfect match you know suddenly you're, you're giving multiple opportunities to just about anyone this is fair practice this is meritocracy this is like making the best person win and imagine the cross-pollination of information Knowledge, skill, just about everything. Some of these kind of innovative practices, and yes, organizations are doing these things. But I think to answer the question, uh, yes, organizations are thinking holistically. There are a lot of creative ideas that come that, uh, you know, currently people are using. But the most important thing is getting the culture right, uh, to be totally invested in your people, uh, to listening to them. The, giving them the psychological safety three pushing your boundaries and saying we are going to move people uh if i'm going to get all the growth the new um, creative uh you know if i'm going to be creatively saturated inside my own organization why will i venture outside the amount of uh, revenue one loses in you know in rehiring people if you build your own people i am not saying i'm not uh Ever to the idea of hiring uh, new talent because that gets an outside-in perspective. But what I'm saying is, we need to be open and uh, to the idea of circulating the talent that exists in the organization, so that they get the newness here rather than exploring outside. Uh, fancy things like uh, you know, fancy bonuses and all can only retain your people to a some point, but beyond a point, if the job is not something that makes you get up. With uh, you know that 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 feeling of hey I'm going to conquer the world, it's not going to come through. Over back okay. to you.
0: Absolutely spoken like a true learning and development head of a large corporation right there. Thank you so much for sharing those practical perspectives. I would like to hear from the researcher. What do the behaviors, the mindset, and the numbers say, Richard? Uh, well,
4: I'm going to talk talk at it from from the notion of fit. So, so the research on fit talks about uh, person-job fit, person-team fit, and person-culture or person-organization fit. So, we just go from from those those three lenses. So, I think when it comes to person-job fit, you know, this is uh, this is how most people get hired. It's okay. Here's your 15, 20, 25 bullet points that you need to be able to do, and and, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, There's a whole bunch of hiring around that. Uh, I think the challenge that we've had, and we we, we continue to have, is uh, organizations have treated uh, the people as commodities, so that the people have to create their own value. So they've got to create their own learning and they've got to go off and learn their own things. And and, and the organisational learning is, is seen as very secondary. If you're not going out and doing it yourself and spending your own money on it, you're, you're not really taking your career seriously. You don't have enough accredit, accreditations, You don't have enough ticks in your boxes. And so therefore, we're going to hire the person who does, even though most of the accreditations, what do they actually teach you? Not not that much. It's nowhere near as useful as on the job learning. So I think we've got to we've got to shift that uh, to well, okay. Do you have do you have the basic skill set and the minimal the minimum viable skill set to do the work? But then also do we have um, things in place in the organization to mentor you, to give you skills, to do high-quality internal learning. So it's not just you're you're being asked to brand yourself as a as a separate project. But the organization really cares about developing you even if it means losing you eventually because you become so good that somebody else comes in but it's a part of why i'm at that organization and i think what we're going to see is uh, we're already seeing it is a rebirth of organizational learning as a way to try and keep hold of talent and i think the learning and development teams are going to really have to upskill themselves as to how to do this well across the world so that that's sort of the job. Fit, job person, job fit is, is how do you think about that? Um, the person team fit. Um, I think that, so again, I'm just going to go into the complexity research because we're doing complex uh, sort of uh, cross-functional jobs. So you've got a bunch of people from different teams working together on projects as, as, as Agile should be. There's a way to hire for these for these kind of jobs. I don't think anyone across the world, I've never met a company that's doing it, but the research is pretty robust. What the research says that you need to do is you need to find three very specific types of person. One has to have what they call the complexity of faith and the complexity of faith is very, very comfortable in using new and untested technologies and processes and practices. You need to hire people who've got the complexity of facts, which are people comfortable making meaningful decisions in uncertain conditions and ambiguous conditions. They can deal with that kind of stress. And you need to hire people with the complexity of interactions who can glue the team together amidst all the stress and make sure that they don't start tearing each other's throats out. And then right at the end, to go to Calvin's point about psychological safety, you also need to hire the joker who can get rid of the tension, who will say the things that are left unsaid, that, that will make sure that that you're you're actually having the conversations you should be having, rather than just going into an echo chamber where everybody's saying and thinking and doing the same things. So you've got to you've got to have those four, I think. And I, I still haven't found any organization on the planet that is hiring for those skill sets. Yet the research is very robust. And the final one, people, culture, fit, where you, where you actually hire to see whether they share the organizational or values or not, um, that is totally incoherent. It, it just, it's got to die, the values-based model. Because what actually happens is you get an organization with a, vis- a vision and mission and the values placed on the wall. The experience of being in that organization is incredibly different from the values on the wall. Um, and everybody gets disengaged and cynical about it so that there is just no coherence in hiring for values anymore especially with these massive ecosystem style companies where people are working from home and in the office there's something else than value that's going to glue people together but this narrow values based thing is is, isn't going to happen anymore there's something around diversity and 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 inclusion and ecosystems I don't know what it's going to look like but it's going to be something different to the current cultural model. And the companies who get there first are going to have a massive competitive advantage in, in grabbing this talent and, and, and keeping it engaged. Over to you. Thank you
0: so much. And again, evidence-based responses right there. So that's absolutely Creepy something if that I you may, have.
3: If I may, I, I missed talking about the other two things. I got so passionate about the first one. So I'm just still going to take 30 seconds. I spoke about okay. the mindset. The skill set part is the easy one. Uh, We all know about it. You can hire at some skills. You can build on the skills bit, right? And and the skills have to be relevant. So build for future skills as well. I would, you know, underline that part. Third is tool sets. So you would all about talk about a digitally empowered organization. But are you giving the tools for the people to practice? Are you giving them opportunities to practice the learning? Because that's where the internalization of learning really happens. I'm going to pause now. Over to you.
0: Thank you so much. And you know that is what conversations are all about. You get carried away, and then you remember. So absolutely fantastic right there. I do have the next two questions. My first one is for Calvin, and then the follow-up one is for Sandy. Let me pull this up for Calvin right now. Says Anunay. Calvin, are we putting too much pressure on the system by way of constantly trying to disrupt the status quo to make that mark, whether through the talent practices or through trying to outshine each other? What do you think? Are we stretching ourselves or what is going on over to you, Calvin?
1: Thank you no, I don't think uh, I don't think so Preeti, because uh, I think you know uh, it is very important that we have to get the fundamentals right. okay uh, I think you know uh, you know there are a couple of you know, things I wanted to kind of bring you, uh, you know, uh, give you a perspective. There are certain jobs in the industry which will require a fixed skill to come and perform and deliver. typically an IT or a BB development role or something right. So so you will need only those skill sets to come and then come and deliver this job and then they move on. But there are a lot of jobs, including the folks that they manage these IT folks, right? You know, these are typically not not taught, you know, online or taught, you know, in a, in a room, right? Uh, when I say the fundamentals have to be, you know, have to be right, is see, typically we have to drive these people. I think the people has to be driven with a sense sense of purpose, which is always not tied to, you know, the remuneration. For example, right? Uh, what we what I mean by that is. I think what the, the the talent that is currently you know um, is on the on the ground is expecting is to see uh, what are the actions that we are taking. I think you know it could be it could be you know as minute as you know acknowledging somebody's you know uh, what do you call um, you know somebody's uh, query and trying to tell them that they are going to get back with a with, a, with an action and kind of making sure that it's 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 uh, actionable, right? So I think it is very important you know uh, like I always tell my team uh, know that you know. Uh, if, if it has taken 10 years to do something, you know, and if 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 I have learned so much, I think the team that we want now are the teams who can actually do it much sooner. So that what I mean by that is they don't have to go through the same learning curve and the same mistakes that I went through, for example, to kind of do this activity. Right. I think this applies to everybody. I think what kind of agility that we show on the job, what is the what is the kind of response time that we kind of you know have to get back to the, the stakeholders? Because at the end of the day, I think. It's all about, you know, today we're talking about employee being a customer, right? And then these employees, of course, you know, are working towards the end customer, which is the customer customer for us, all of us, right? I think, I think it is very, very important. Uh, I don't think it is stressed. I think making sure that we get the fundamentals right. I think making sure you get your engagements right. Making sure that the communication is, you know, intact. You know, keep rewarding them, keep engaging with them. Making sure that, you know, that you always action on what you're talking to the people. I think that is very, very important, uh, I think, Preeti. And, and I'm I'm really sure that, you know, it is certainly not too stressed. I think if you get the fundamentals right, I think we should be there. Quote you, Preeti.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for that, Calvin. Absolutely spot on. Keep it simple. And that's the way forward because the more you complicate stuff, as Richard said, the more we are bringing upon ourselves. So absolutely right, right there, my friend. Let's move on to Sandy now. Sandy, you touched upon the academia and the industry sort of correlation earlier and you did bring out some points and so i have this question for you from Jyoti. she says is the tech moving faster than the engineering students passing out how can industry academia work together for the future over to you thank you
2: Well, you know, bridging the gap between academia and the industry uh, is a very critical part of uh, transition from the the young aspiring professional to get into a professional stream of work. When we are talking about the engineers specifically who are, you know, coming out uh, and graduating from colleges, It is, I think, uh, you know, the syllabus is no longer static in terms of learning. So uh, from the institution point of view, the institution needs to be uh, very, very uh, nimble on its feet in terms of inculcating and, you know, absorbing what is happening out there, which is more technologically upgraded, which also means that most of the colleges and institutions where we do have this criteria of having to have a, you know, an education degree to teach, and you know, you have to go through certain parameters to become a professor. I think the inculcation of a lot of people from the industry uh, to come in and at least give them that the final six, the last semester especially, or even all semesters for that matter that there needs to be industry representatives who come in and have workshops with them. It gives them a feel of of what to expect and also as much receptive as the students are, the undergrads are before they come out or even the diploma holders. The requirement is of the administrative part of it, the curriculum part of it to keep updated on this. I find a lot of parents, even in school saying, you know, IB, we don't understand the syllabus, but then you're measuring it from your own parameter of fixed syllabus. And IB works on a dynamic learning where they keep inculcating things. And the same thing needs to happen at colleges and universities. Uh, You may be writing a research, but the research also has to, you know, imbibe what's happening currently. So yes, when we're talking about the uh, transition between uh, uh, pressure and the uh, bridging the gap between the academia. Let me just give an example of what we are doing, uh, just to give you an example. We are taking in fresh graduates, uh, B.Tech graduates, but they have to compulsorily go through a 12 month program as a trainee in which they are going to be doing every possible thing, every department does in the organization, everything. The competencies being mapped, the talent is being mapped, and their skill sets are being mapped in these 12 months. After the post the end of 12 months, we are going to be placing them as per their passion, as per their competency, based on what they love to do. So that they have a career path chopped out, which allows them to grow in that manner. It is uh, probably a gamble because uh, I I haven't done this before, Uh, but it's something that I'm totally looking forward to because I would want this transform the way we induct people into the organization. The culture fit. If you say a person's not a culture fit, how do you fit that person into the culture? It's a give and take. A young uh, fresher, when they join the organization, brings with them ideas that we can't even think about. And who crushes those ideas? The very people who want ideas coming. Let me give you an example. A person saying, okay, let's ideate, let's brainstorm on some X matter. And then when the person starts to speak or somebody young starts to speak, if it doesn't match my frame of mind, I will shut it down, I will run it down I will not listen. We're only hearing things. Are we even listening? Are we absorbing and listening to actually understand? So that is the crux of the issue. So uh, I think a good transition plan with the final semester with a lot of interaction from the industry. and a trainee program for inductees which doesn't really which is dynamic and fun makes it good uh i also okay. had a you question know, going on Preeti, just give me 10 seconds yeah. there was somebody uh, called Mamta sashtev who said they don't like to get their hands dirty all right so yes they don't like to get their hands dirty but we have brought them to the stage by pampering our kids Let's just put it that way. Colleges, air conditioned, a mechanical engineer does not work in air conditioned areas. So that has to be taken care of. Over to you, Preeti. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Sandy. And you are absolutely right. And one quick point over there. So an industry leader wants to turn a professor after say 20, 25 years of their corporate jobs. Now the minimum criteria to become a professor is that you have to have a phd a phd takes time between two and five years does the corporate person have the time to do that phd to be able to teach shouldn't it be just simple that those 25 years can be counted off as real world practical experiences and should they shouldn't they be allowed to teach because that is more hands-on than any kind of education policies so i just wanted to sort of quickly bring that point out here but Today, we have time enough for just one last question. And this is from Neha Parashar. I am going to open this to the entire panel very briefly in quick bullets, please to address what she has to say. And I'm going to read it out for you. Is a big part of our challenge, the uh, challenge rather the talent crunch a not knowing or having reliable tools to hire or select? Or not having enough bandwidth, leeway, or support to take risks. So, not having enough tools, or not having enough bandwidth. I think I'll start with Richard, and move along the line to Sumedha, Calvin, and then end with Sandy. Over to you, Richard. Thank you.
4: Uh, I think it's both hands. Um, I don't. I think the tools that we we have to find and hire talent. Um, I mean, only two days ago, I had a, a LinkedIn um, tag me for a job as a junior uh, a junior trader in Bitcoin. And I'm like, I don't know, there's just literally nothing in my life that would say that is a job for me. Um, first of all, I'm certainly not a junior anymore. I'm 20 years past being a junior at least. Um, and, and I've done, I had none of the qualifications in, in terms of, what what they were looking for, yet it tagged me through through the AI as as um, as somebody capable of doing this job. So so, I mean that that's and, and LinkedIn is supposedly one of the most sophisticated um, engines in the planet to do this. Okay, so the so we have we have a lot of challenges about the, the tools that we use to um, to hire people and select people. Um, psychometrics is is the, the, there are a number of psychometrics around a, a very. Large number of them don't really predict anything at all. Um, so you're putting people through all of these these this rigmarole and for, for for no real reason. Um, so that I think, but that then goes into the other bit. Well, we can't take risks because well, what does what do these tools do? Well, they give you some kind of metric as to this person fits this this kind of job. You can't bring in the the you can't write um, job descriptions in radical ways. Even though writing them in radical ways potentially brings you a lower number of candidates, all of whom are capable of doing the job, rather than 300 candidates of whom two are capable of doing the job, which is one of the big challenges with the current talks. Um, so, uh, and and you can't bring in someone who doesn't have doesn't look like they have this exact fit. You can't. I mean, one of the, one of my clients in here they just do big hiring days where they try and explain talk the employees out of joining a really risky thing to do. But they basically, all of the candidates come in and they, they they tell all these terrible stories about the organization and then see who stays. And they have an incredible re- retention rate. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a bunch of really interesting pos- possible things to do out there. But because of the metrics of the current tools, which are not good enough, you're a bit stuck. Like, really, really. Okay, thank you, Richard.
0: You know what? Um, being a junior trader, probably maybe in today's day and time, is way better than being a ferryboat captain in Jacksonville, well, Florida, that was the other place.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
4: I was living in Sydney teaching leadership, and I got offered a job as a ferryboat captain in um, Jacksonville, Louisiana, yeah, or Florida, or somewhere. Yeah, I was like, where did that come from? So the AI has gone up a little bit. I might have at least a slight inkling, at least this one was in Hong Kong. So it was, it's like it's slightly rather than the other side of the world,
0: yeah. Thank you for that and for bringing that <laughs> slight bit of humor right here. But let's go to Sumedha and hear her perspectives in terms of what is what, Sumedha. Over to you. Thank you. Yes. So thanks, Preeti. Um,
3: interesting insights from Richard, as usual. Uh, to me, it's not the lack of tool set. You know, I think we, we're sitting at a time where there are plenty of Uh, tools that one can use to hire but like Richard said psychometrics do they land us at the place that we want to land Um, I'm just taking a step back in my mind I want to really think uh, ask uh, you know anyone who's hiring uh, as to unless it is a job that is a do or die that I mean let's say a pilot or a doctor where the the criticality is huge in terms of uh, you know lives of people Can we really take a risk on people? Why do we want to have such a such a uh, stringent um, selection process, entry process? And I say that uh, also linking to uh, what you said, this guy uh, who's been, um, you know, someone from the corporates who want to wants to become a professor. So, So don't have a very stringent entry process. Yes. Pick up some skills which are needed for the job to go well and then build on. Look for the attitude. If the attitude is there, if this person is passionate and you can do that when you when you kind of interact with people, I would say one of the great tools besides all the AI that sits with us is having a panel, a diverse panel. Why a diverse panel? And I totally, totally would put my money over there is because you need to have different people to be able to see what this person is bringing on the table. If this this person has the right attitude, go for it. The skills can be taught. That's that's the second part of it. Um, Third is maybe you could have, uh, you know, uh, when you talk about taking risks, one quick example that comes to my mind is the other CEOs of startups. So we have great, brilliant stories. These guys were all dropouts. They did not have, they could not have got the JDs tick mark if they were to walk for an interview to be a CEO of any of the organizations but see from where to where did they build the organization how did that happen if again the thing is is this person curious is this person curious to learn and I would say the interviewing should happen on those aspects the software aspects which actually uh, are the fuel or the push for a person to you know uh, push boundaries or excel in their careers Um, so having said that uh, Risk taking is what is missing. Organizations want to hire as of yesterday. You have a tact that needs to be uh, plugged, uh, and and I think we need to think differently. If there is a role that is niche, probably have a stringent criteria because you can't take a chance. But someone gave you a chance. It's it's time to give others a chance too. Also, going back to the uh, the I strongly believe even for the education system. Are we looking at, uh, you know, uh, utilizing our ITIs the, the way they should be? Why we have why do we have, why don't we democratize uh, education? Let everyone learn. Don't make stringent entry criterias. Be strict on the way, the exit part of it. So give people chance to learn. That's how I'm talking more of India. That's how we have a huge population. But how do we let everyone learn? Learning should not come with
0: uh, so many ifs and buts. Over to you, Priti. Thank you so much. And again, aptly put, you know, the whole sort of uh, policies and procedures that we have, I think are geared more for exclusion and more for sort of attaching that premier tag rather than being inclusive and rather than opening up the entire spectrum to everyone. So very rightly said right there. So thank you so much. Let us hear from Calvin what he thinks. And you know what? I'm actually loving this. So Neha has this one question. We've heard two different perspectives so far, both brilliant. Two more to go. So let's hear from Calvin what he has to say. Over
1: to yes. you. Thank I think. You. Uh, yeah, I think. Preeti, um, No, I think for me uh, personally, I think if you look at a technology, you know, uh, you know, uh, domain as such, right? Uh, if you talk about reliable tools, we are not there yet. I think according to a Bloomberg report, the HR tech industry is almost a hundred billion dollar industry. See today what I you know kind of get to see on HR tool is what a candidate is you know exposing himself or what he's choosing himself to say about him, right? So and these tools are going to just only pick up what he or she is going to say about him. But when I try and qualify for my job, when I try to ask them the right questions, that's where the biggest gap that is coming up, right? So I think that is one area specifically where uh, I think the HR tech tools uh, will continue to kind of improve upon. I think um, uh, we we still have a long way to go there, actually, pretty. Over to you.
0: Thank you so much. Candid as always, Calvin. Appreciate that. Let us hear some practical and to the point stuff from Sandy because she is very direct as well. She knows uh, what it should be. Let's hear it, Sandy. Over to you. Thank you. Right.
2: Thank you, Preeti, and you know, Sumedha, uh, you've made such amazing valid points in terms of the HR perspective, and um, I'm just going to add to it and not repeat what everyone else has said. Uh, For me personally, I find risk-taking capacity is a must. When I walk in for an interview, for example, I want that person to take a chance on me as much as I'm taking a chance on them which also brings me to the fact that we normally keep talking about interviews. Uh, Why are we making it a one-sided thing? I have as many questions to ask an organization as an organization has a question to ask me. So when we are talking, let's have a discussion, let's have a conversation about why you want to work with us. I think it relaxes people more. They're more passionate about what they want to talk about. And that kind of risk taking doesn't happen. Why? Because we are too insecure as managers. Uh, too insecure about our own chairs. And we don't want young blood coming in and upsetting the pool because I have not upskilled myself to the technology that exists in the world. So we are as much as fault. Uh, professional ethics only want us to look at numbers, whereas uh, my job as HREO is to look at the people and how they can develop. So uh, when you are looking at the crunch, the crunch is not because it doesn't, there is no pool that exists. The crunch is because we make them so damn nervous before they get into an interview. We also do not respect time from the candidates. Their time we don't respect. We want our time to be respected that they need to come in and be punctual. But after that, uh, if we have them waiting for two hours for an interview, I don't think that's fair. That's being disrespectful. And that is the opinion that we carry with us much as we want inclusiv- inclusivity and other things, are we really at it? No, we are not. Let's admit, while the talent has been spoiled for choice, uh, we are as spoiled. And we were the ones who started this problem and we've got to fix this.
0: Over to Thank you, Pratih, so- this
2: be going on, but yeah.
0: I it. know, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I was just going to say, I think it is time enough to put the human back into the whole human resources thing is what I would put it as. And I think we have time enough for just about this. The panel has been great. The audience has been even greater. Dear folks, please reach out to Richard, Calvin, Sumida and Sandy on LinkedIn to carry these conversations, because like the panel says, we could be sat here for the next 24 hours. Such an interesting topic. But the point here today was to give you some food for thought so that we can carry these conversations and make some sense of what is this talent crunch. So with that, I think it is time to say our goodbyes. This was episode five, Talent Crunch, a global phenomenon. Part of my six part live series, talent exclusive, elusive or endangered powered by Quest Corp and Quest IT Staffing. Thank you to the audience for coming out and engaging with us. A big thanks to my dear four friends on the panel. So that's Richard, Calvin, Sobeda and Sandy. Until the next time, please stay safe. Thank you very much. Jai Hind. Do take good care. Thank
4: you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jai